Sunday, we meditated on Jesus' promises, rest for your soul, uh, based on Matthew chapter 11. You know, we saw that, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus is inviting all of us to take his yoke upon us and to enjoy rest. It is a promise. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a promise that Jesus has made. Then the question is, why are we hesitating to take his yoke upon us? What could be the reason? Maybe we, we are not very clear as to who is this Jesus. Though we sing, you know, though we say, Jesus, you're everything, could, be, could it be that reason? But otherwise, why are we finding it difficult to take his yoke upon us and to learn from him? Because we have been promised rest. And that's what we all need. Last Sunday, I showed you even little children need rest. You know, all of us, once you're born into this world, you're restless and we need rest. And Jesus has promised us that rest. And why are we hesitating? So to answer this question, let's rise to our feet for the scripture reading taken from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Ebireyer, Modalavda Adigaram, Vasnangal Wonru, Modal Mundru Vare. Ebireyer, Modalavda Adigaram, Vasnangal Wonru, Modal Mundru Modia. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is God's word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Minister to us this morning. Spirit of God, we cry out to you. Speak to us. Bless us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kindly be seated. You know, this passage clearly tells us who Jesus is. Just in these three verses, we get a glimpse of, you know, we get the answer of who Jesus is. Jesus is God's word. Jesus is God's glory. 
and Jesus is God's son. Now, even before we go to this passage, these three verses, few introductory uh, remark comments about the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a very interesting book in the New Testament because it gives an extraordinary sense of clarity about Jesus. Now, if you sit in a Bible college, they'll say highly Christological passage. That's how they'll introduce this passage. You know, that's what you find. It's all about Christ and it's a highly, you know, rich Christological passage. This book encourages us to be yoked with Jesus because of delight in his wonderful, in his wonder. You know, we should be yoked with Jesus because of delight, not because of duty and obligation. Oh, if I don't go, it will be painful. Oh, if I fail, he will punish me. No, we come to Jesus. We should delight. We should learn to delight in him. You know, quite often, as I always say, when you come from a religiousistic tradition, moralistic tradition, we almost, we have, you know, made this religion as a matter of rules and regulations. You do A, B, C, D, you are blessed. You, do, you don't do F, gone, fail. That's the way we have been brought up. But that is not what the Bible says. Bible says something else. This book is all the more interesting because we don't know who wrote this book. I know some of you will be thinking as Paul, but it is not Pauline. Uh, we are not getting into the authorship of this book, but definitely we don't know who wrote this book. But what is what we do know is to whom it was written. That we know. That's, that's great about this book. You know, Hebrews is just another name for Jewish people. And the audience of this letter appears to be primarily, if you read this book, they appear to be Jewish Christians living in a city. We all are living in a city. So this book is, you know, it speaks to us. We should read this book. Because it speaks to us, because we are also living in an urban environment like they lived. They didn't have mobile, but they lived in a city environment. And when I tell you the challenges, they face the same challenges that we also face today. Because they lived, uh, how do we say they live in a city? Because in this book, if you read the entire letter, you find many references to the word. You know, you come across the word city, city. For example, in Hebrews 13, 14, it says, for here, we do not have an enduring city. You know, definitely he's not writing to village people. For here, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Uh, the Bible is more concerned about cities. It's not that Bible is not concerned about villages. I'm not saying that. But in, in city, we all have an important role. One day we will talk about right from Genesis chapter 11. You remember the Tower of Babel? 
so city is strategically important for the gospel if you are here remember god considers you as an important person in the kingdom of god and that's why you have been placed here city is very very important for the spread of the gospel because they lived in a city it shows they also lived in a pluralistic society okay you know it's not a village all my family members all one caste no it cannot happen in a city they are living in a pluralistic village in the midst of many religions many beliefs many philosophies you know there are different kinds of things that were happening in a city like exactly what we are facing today and these people to whom this letter is addressed they because they are in a minority you heard the word minorities the audience of this book were also in a minority the moment you are in a minority remember what happens you know because of your belief in jesus christ because of their belief in jesus christ they were marginalized why are you surprised if you and i are marginalized today they were also marginalized because of their belief in jesus christ so what happens the moment you are marginalized we are living in a sinful society so there's going to be persecution and opposition and that's what was happening to this people they were being persecuted they were being opposed and now they are facing intense persecution and opposition and then the question they they are thinking you know i said they were jewish christians so earlier when we were just jewish people we didn't face any of this problem now we have become christians so because we have become christians we are facing persecution and opposition so they are thinking is it good to go back to judaism or it's too much holding this cup is too much should i go back to judaism this is a question they had and this book answers that question no they are they are they are having genuine questions you know you cannot blame them we also have genuine questions they also had genuine questions they are saying if god loves us so much why is life so hard for us you know everybody is telling god loves me so much god is a loving god god is a caring god god is a powerful god i hear pastor telling sunday after sunday but why is my life so hard have you not faced this question have you not asked this question why is my life so hard why should we have to suffer so much see outside jewish people they are very happy they are thriving in their business making money lots and lots of money big big houses you know they are all prospering our property is being confiscated we are being put into prison 
Don't you think these are genuine questions? So the book of Hebrews, the whole, I'm not talking about just the three verses, the book of Hebrews answers that question and the answer of the book in a nutshell, I'm not talking about the entire book. So the answer, the questions, of course, we all can relate to that question. And the answer that's in that book is, we can say that life is a journey from weariness into rest, from alienation into the presence of God, from isolation into the city of God. And the only way you can get home is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. This is the message of the book of Hebrews. You have read the entire book. Life is a journey. Now, sometimes little children also ask, what is life? What is life? Because they are also facing challenges in the schools. What is life? And the Bible says life is a journey. Hebrews 11.13, you can just note the verse against that, life is a journey. Hebrews 11.13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So life is a journey you find from Hebrews 11, 13. From weariness into rest. Hebrews 4, 8 to 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So life is a journey from weariness into rest, we find in Hebrews chapter 4, 8 to 11, from alienation into the presence of God. Listen to this verse carefully. So rich, Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. We have just taken part in the Lord's table. He went with his blood. He has entered heaven so that he can appear for us in God's presence. Hebrews 9.24 From isolation into the city of God. Hebrews 11.10 For Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 11.10 And the only way you can get home is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1-2, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith. What a beautiful book, how rich it is. Life is a journey from weariness into rest, from alienation into the presence of God, from isolation into the city of God. And the only way you can get home is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. This city will not give us rest. This city will not give us assurance. It is the city of God which will give us that rest. And we can go home, get home only by fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is the message of the book of Hebrews. Basically, it's saying life is not a 100-meter dash. It is a sustained and long journey. You can be a Christian for one day. You can be full of Josh for one day. You can sing hallelujah, praises, everything you can do for one day. But doing it all through is a challenge. Like when you have to hold that cup and you don't know what is in that cup. And then you have to move, move, keeping your eyes on Jesus. It is tough. It is difficult. It is possible. It is glorious. Now let us look at the three verses that we have just read. Okay, We can meditate on this passage and the three headings. Jesus, God's word. Jesus, God's glory. Jesus, God's son. Jesus, God's word. Jesus, God's glory. Jesus, God's son. So Jesus, God's word. Very simple. We all know, no? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We know that by heart. So Jesus, God's word. So what's new about it? You know, the very beginning of the Bible describes that our God is a speaking God. Right? The very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God spoke. It just happened. He spoke. We speak, speak, speak. Nothing is happening. God spoke. And it happened. And if you read the entire chapter, you find nine times in the very first chapter, God said, God said, God said. Nine times you will find God said. Everything that exists you know, whatever you see, whatever you can think of, you know, can trace its origin to the fact that it has been commanded into being by God. God spoke. God spoke. God spoke. That's why I say your child is not your child, it's God's child. Light comes from God. Everything comes from God. God spoke. You know, sometimes people ask if whether God is really a speaking God or he spoke and now he is not speaking. 
is God really a speaking God? You know, I, I can't hear him. He appears to be somewhere at a distance. I pray and pray, I pray. I can't hear him. Is God really a speaking God? But the book of Hebrews begins with that very assertion that God is a speaking God. If the book of Hebrews is also telling that our God is a speaking God, if God is a speaking God, then we should hear him speaking. No? If God is a speaking God, we should hear him speaking. If we are not hearing him speak, then we should learn to hear him. We should learn. You cannot live in that place saying that, oh, this is the way it is. Our God is a speaking God from Genesis chapter 1. From eternity past to eternity future, he's a speaking God. If he is a speaking God, it should be my desire and your desire to listen to his words. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Have you heard that? The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Oh my goodness, he has heard. That's the way our God speaks. He thunders. And we say, oh, I'm not able to hear him. Then we need to do some kind of reflection. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 says, in the past, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times. Not one isolated incident. At many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Of course, we all are aware, no? God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets. We all are aware because we all know about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Some of us even find it difficult to read what Isaiah had written. I have read everything but not Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I don't know what he has written. You know, but God spoke to all these prophets. We are aware about it. But if God has spoken through all the prophets, now why is Jesus speaking and what is its significance but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son he has spoken many times in various ways now what is the significance that he has spoken to us by his son in the past god spoke to our ancestor through the prophets at many times and in various ways. You know, if you look at the uh, Greek word, various ways, polytrophos. Uh, polytrophos can be translated as God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in pieces. In a piecemeal way. 
That's the way you can translate polytrophos. God spoke. Of course he spoke. He spoke through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But he spoke in a piecemeal way. But now, in Jesus Christ, God has not spoken in various ways. Not in a piecemeal way. In one way. He has spoken. Now he has finished speaking. That is the significance. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This verse has a profound implication for our spiritual life. If you are sincerely interested in the spiritual life, probably this is a sentence we should draw our attention to. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now God is speaking through Jesus Christ not to give us some general information. It is not a coaching class. You get some information to pass your exam. But to let us know who he is. That's why God is speaking. Not to give some data, some, some details. But to let us know who he is. God is actually communicating himself. God is actually communicating himself. God wants a relationship with you and me. He wants a relationship with you and me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in spirit. God is calling us to that relationship. Come, be yoked with me. I hope I don't have to you know, repeat what we saw last Sunday. Come and be yoked with me. Come, I'm revealing myself. I'm communicating myself. I want a relationship with you. That's what God is saying. God is not interested in giving us some, some information. God is interested in giving himself to each one of us. We have a personal God who speaks. Now, why is speaking so important? You know, God did many miracles. You know, we have seen, we read in the Bible, but why is speaking so important? Have you thought about it? Why is speaking so important? Speaking is important because words can engage every part of us. Words can engage our mind. Words can engage our heart. And words can engage every part of our being. That's why words are important. God is speaking. He is not speaking just some head knowledge. No, 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 no. no. He wants to speak so that DNA is being rewritten. Our sinful DNA is being rewritten. He wants to speak. And the words have the power 
to alter our DNA. You have a new life in Jesus, and that's a glorious life. Has our mind, heart, and every part of our being, has it been affected by this relationship? Ask yourself. Let me ask myself. Has your mind, has your heart, every part of your being, has it been affected? Let me ask, put it this way. Increasingly is it being affected? Gradually, is it growing? Every single cell in you is, is you know, crying. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Is there a cry and a hunger and a thirst for Jesus? God, through Jesus, wants us to have an intimate relationship with us. The Bible is God speaking to us. This is the book. The Bible is God speaking to us. We can say that we have an intimate relationship with God only if the word of God confronts us, challenges us, rebukes us, and questions us. If this book is not doing, then a typical Indian household husband-wife relationship does. What is that? The you know, Bible always talks about you know, God's relationship with us. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. What has happened in our culture? You're married. You're told clearly. You're a woman. You're not supposed to speak. Whatever he is God. Man is God. So whatever he says you have to do. Now man is very happy. He has told you all that he needs. When I come, food should be ready. My thing should be ready. My and you have been already your program. Parents, mother, grandmother, all have told you. They have showed you also how to live. And you have programmed yourself. He comes. He comes home. And everything is ready. And there is no conversation between both of you. You are not having a relationship with a person. You are having a relationship with a, maybe with a pressure cooker. Maybe with a gas stove. You are not having a relationship with a person. Why? If you are having a relationship with a person, that person has to confront you. That person has to question you. That person has to challenge you. Why should you have a person at home who is supposed to be only quiet? You have given her the menu card. That's the reason. See, the Indian marriages, of course, it stresses more on faithfulness. Of course, we need to be faithful in our relationship. But if you are talking about the intimate relationship, Intimate relationship, you can never have intimate relationship with another person 
if that person is quiet speaking is important if that person is just quiet if you really want to grow in relationship that person has to speak challenge confront talk if you are not ready to young people if you are not ready to listen to that don't get married don't get married and make the other person's life miserable now now that's not the focus the focus is if we are having a relationship with god we are like typical indian men we read i don't what i say god you better answer that because i have already programmed the kind of god i want to have god is a loving god oh he is a sweet sweet god oh i just go and ask oh god where i am going don't ask okay so you we are if you really want to hear from him this is the book you don't have to go to your mountain you don't have to go on a pilgrimage you have to read this book and tell me tell yourself don't tell me how many times do you experience do you encounter the word of god challenging you because you are reading in you have already programmed your mind god is a loving god god is a caring god there is no scope for god to speak to us since i have programmed my mind sometimes that's the way we preach also you know blame is not on you it's on me you know that's the way we preach and as a result of which we are not having an intimate relationship with god jesus is god's word and if jesus is a living god and if you want to have a living relationship with him he has to confront you you take this word don't make it a point i want to finish reading this book say i want to meet with this god i want him to challenge me confront me convict me that's the way we have to do our devotional you know when somebody says come there is a conference i'll teach you how god hears you you'll run you'll run there right nothing is going to happen this is god has spoken he has spoken he has spoken now he has spoken to us by his son he is not going to speak anything more take this book and see is god speaking to me if this is a living book i want to hear from him we are more interested in hearing from human beings than from god himself jesus is god's word he is a speaking god if i come and stand here i have an intimate relationship i need to ask when did i hear from this god or only i am speaking to him if i'm only speaking to him no intimate relationship i want to to think about who your god is the way you program or the way you imagine your god in your mind that's the god you will get from the bible but if you know who our god is and if you know who you are and then you know 
when you read it, you know, did you, it's a holy word. Holy, holy, holy word. Has this holy word spoken to you? You run after dreams and visions and all. Written, written word. It's here. Document. God's letter is in our hand. Is this book speaking to you? Jesus is God's word. You cannot read this book lightly and say God is speaking to me from somewhere else. That is not God speaking. That's not God of the Bible. But that is some other God. God of the Bible will speak to you through the word. Through this word. Jesus, God's word. You know, that God has spoken to us. Jesus, God's glory. I'll quickly go through this. Verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the visible expression of God's invisible being. Jesus is the visible expression of God's invisible being. In other words, Jesus explains God. As you read, you encounter God. No one can know God apart from Jesus Christ. No one. No one. You know, it says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is God's glory. You know, the prophets could only tell you, you know, when you read the Bible, have you thought about it? The prophets will only say, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Did you ever come across Jesus saying, thus says the Lord? He says, very truly, I tell you. Very truly, I tell you. He is not saying, thus says the Lord. Here is God speaking to us. Here is God who came and died for us on the cross. Very truly, I tell you. This itself should, you know, just draw our attention. It should make us, oh my goodness. Here is God speaking to me. Very truly, I tell you. I tell you. Jesus never has doubts. Never has doubts. Not even once he said, you go home, I'll give you an answer tomorrow. He never said. He's God. Very truly, I tell you. You know, Jesus is God himself. We get a perfect picture of God when we look at Jesus Christ. Jesus may be a carpenter, but underneath, in his inner being, outer, he was just reflecting the glory of God. Now, quickly, let me draw your attention when you talk about Jesus, God's glory. You remember the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire? You remember that? You know the story. What happened when the pillar of cloud went in the rear? The Egyptian army was destroyed. But then you remember the glory of God appeared on Mount Sinai? 
there was thunder, lightning. Anyone touches that place, boom, gone. That's glory, glory of God. Then you remember that when Solomon dedicated his temple, the glory of God filled the temple. Do you remember the transfiguration of Jesus? Jesus, glory of God. Yes, glory of God. We have become very casual with this glory. Jesus, God's glory. He is the radiance of God's glory. Finally, Jesus, God's son. Hebrews 1, 2 says, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. You know, for generations, the Israelites were waiting, waiting for the day, the day of the Lord, when, when the Messiah will come. They were waiting for redemption. And the author says, but in these last days, it has happened, it has come. Last days has begun. You know, when we talk about last days, we think, oh, last days, when is going to come? That's not the way Bible says about last days. Last days. You know, we, we have all got used to it, no? Go to the shop, manufacturing date, expiry date, or oh, three days more, five days more, two years more. And so we also want to say how many more days for Jesus to come. It will not work out. Because last days began when Jesus came to this world. We are all living in the last days. That's not the way, you know, the way we work. That's not the way the scripture works. We are living in the last days. None of us can tell, you know, God will come tomorrow. Or day after tomorrow. Or today. Anytime he can come. He's God. But what we all have to remember is we all are living in the last days. Since we are living in the last days, you know, we tend to just um, comfort ourselves. Oh, the last days have not yet come. Let me live the way I want. We are in the last days. For the past 2,000 years, we are in the last days. Last days. Just because I want to find out the date, it doesn't mean the Bible says that. Bible is not talking about that. Bible is saying last days have come. In Jewish calendar, that's how they understood. Now, right now, we are in the last days. Jesus came, and these last days will last till his second coming. From first coming to the second coming are the last days. Now, if we are living in the last days, then it is important for all of us to respond to this message. And not only we respond, we have to go and tell others also about this message. Don't listen to messages and videos which talk about, you know, last days are coming. Listen to this book. Listen to this book. You know, we are all interested. Somebody is going to tell when God will come. I can, you read the Christian history, church history, they were talking about these last days. They were predicting about these last days from A.D. 300. A.D. 300. Somebody was giving the dates. And somebody was collecting a group of people. And it doesn't happen. And it's happening. 
it will happen even today. Don't be misguided by what people say or what you we think. Here, here. You have this book in your head. Read this book. Read this book. You cannot avoid reading this book. If you want to know God, if you want to hear God speaking to you, not videos and audios will speak. This word, this word will speak to you. Because he has spoken. These are God's word. And we need to spend time in this. God has spoken the final word in Christ to us. And it is time for us to respond. These are the final word. Quickly, let me finish this. Verses 2 and 3 says, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by, this, by his powerful word. It says, through whom also he made the universe. The creative action belongs to Jesus. Through whom also he made the universe. You know, our galaxy contains, listen to this carefully, because our children are asking these questions. I went and had an interaction with our children. The children are asking these questions, very genuine questions. Parents, better we learn all this. One gal our galaxy contains 100,000 million stars. The average distance between these galaxies is 3 million light years. The latest research shows that the most distant galaxy is about 13.5 billion light years from Earth. Now, where did it all come from? Who conceived it? Who imagined it? Who made it? It can't be an accident. If you read more and more, you'll understand it, it can't be an accident. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God's agent in creating the world. Okay, one Bible teacher, Ruth Barbara, she was teaching college students, okay, about the Bible, the Word of God. She says, let us assume the distance between the earth and the sun Anyone wants to guess? Make a guess. Don't worry. Distance between the earth and the sun? 93 million miles. You know, if 93 million miles was reduced to the thickness of this sheet of paper, okay? 93 million miles was reduced to the thickness of this sheet of paper, if that is the case, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. The nearest star, Proxima Centauri, it'll be 70 feet high. If you want to know the distance, you can 5.88 trillion miles. Okay. 
and the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. This is only one galaxy. There are billions of galaxies. Okay? Then the teachers added the galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe. Just a speck of dust in the universe. Yet, Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful Finally, the teacher asked the students, now, is this the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant? No. You ask him to be in charge of your life. You would ask him to be king over your life. Would you like to be yoked with Jesus? If this is the kind of person Jesus is, would you like to be yoked with him? Or you would like to say, no, 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 you just help me when I call you. The name of Jesus. There's the power in the name of Jesus. Let Jesus be king over our lives. If you make Jesus king over your life, I can promise you this much. You will enjoy your life a lot more better. This promise I can make. If you make Jesus king over your life, you may have to dislodge many things in your life for him to be king over your life. But if you make him king over your life, whatever may be your circumstances, I can assure you this much, you will enjoy your life a whole lot better than right now. Now as believers, we all know this, no? It's not something, I'm, pre I'm not preaching something new. You know, we believe that Jesus is the one who created the world. But we may live as though we are in charge of our lives. That's a tragedy. We say, oh, Jesus, you know, who he is. But let something go a little wrong here and there. God. Anxiety. Let something fail in our life. Doomed because our identity is in that, not in Jesus. Let some let you're laid off or oh, gone. Because that was your God. God was not providing for you. I don't want to take the names, they were providing for you. Is Jesus king over your life? Make him king over your life. How do we apply this word? How does Jesus transform us? How does Jesus transform us? 
how can we experience the transforming glory of God through Jesus Christ in our lives? You know, um, it'll be easier for us to understand. I know I've overshot my time, uh, but it's good for us. You know, I remember um, my wife, a nuclear scientist in Kerala. Uh, if he has written some books. He had uh, three sons and one daughter, if I remember correct. But when we visited, his wife was no more. And the daughter and one son, uh, the son was alive. He was on the wheelchair. And he had uh, kind of a peculiar disease, a rare disease. So he had to be always on the oxygen. He needed 24-7 care, all that. Okay, his wife died of a sickness uh, that's called as extreme stress because she took care of the sickly uh, sons and she also passed away. A great nuclear uh, scientist. Okay, if you get his book, you can read his book. Must be in the 80s now, maybe. We, are, we went and spent some time I have never visited a sick person's home where there was so much of joy. We went, we had lunch with him, we spent some time with him, and what was happening was something in him was passing on to us. There was something. He was a man of word. Okay, he, he was also a part of, member of a translation committee and all that. Hagai Institute, he was a faculty member and all that. I, we visited. I, I still remember the experience because I'm sitting with a person. A person was radiating something to us. And that's what will happen when you are yoked with Jesus. If you are yoked with Jesus, his glory has to come to us. His glory has to come to us. And how do we get it? You get it when you go to Hebrews chapter 2. And when you go to Hebrews chapter 2, I will just read one verse. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. These people are what? They're facing persecution, they're facing opposition, they're undergoing all kinds of problems. And here is a writer, he's saying all this, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. What have we heard? What, what is that we have heard? The gospel. What Jesus spoke. That's the message. There's nothing extraordinary message will come. You know, don't wait for something else. The message is here, the gospel message. Jesus spoke. And we have to pay the most careful attention. You know, the Greek word attention, you can translate it as obsessed. Obsessed. Obsessed with Jesus. And you can have, you can translate the word most careful as furious. Furiously obsessed. Furiously obsessed on his grace, on his love. The closer, the more you understand your salvation, you will be obsessed 
of his grace, of his love, because being a Christian itself is, we should be surprised that he has touched us, he has thought about us. And the more you pay attention to that, you will be obsessed. And the more and more you pay attention, you will be furiously obsessed on his grace, on his love. If you want to press on in the Christian life, in the face of the most difficult circumstances, then immerse your thoughts in Jesus Christ. See Jesus Christ for who he is and grapple with what he has accomplished. You will find yourself strengthened, directed, and nurtured. You know, if we just have the chorus, yeah. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me, and I am desperate for you. I am lost without you. I am desperate for you. I want the AGAG community to be desperate for this word to hunger for this word, to hear from this word, to be nourished from this word. Don't run here and there. Take the Bible. Spend time reading. Just not this two hours on a Sunday morning is sufficient. Every day, every day. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And God has spoken. Don't hold this book lightly. Don't hold this book just because I have to read this. No. God has spoken. I want to hear him speak to me. I want him to confront me, challenge me, question. And I want his glory to come to me. Shall we rise as we sing this song?